Now we want to enter into the reading of the word. And uh, the message of the word is uh, born the son of God. Let's open um, Matthew chapter 3 from a read from verse 1 to verse 17. We are ready to go. I'll read. In those days John the Baptist came preaching the preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet of Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make, make straight the paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from, the, uh, from some coming wrath, producing fruit in producing fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, uh, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water and, uh, for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing, the, his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with the unquenchable fire. The baptism of Jesus, uh, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to baptize to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, you do, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went, up, he went out of water at that moment, heaven, was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That is the Word of God. Let's pray for the Word of God as the minister comes to minister. Dear loving Jesus Christ, as we open up our hearts and spirit to receive the Word, Lord, we need to hear this Word and let it conform our lives and let us be transformed to the Word so that our Father, it can do that which you purpose it to do in our lives. Lord, we are ready to receive the Word as you commit the speaker of the Word. Lord, let him speak the Word of God in spirit and vigor as we wait on you, Lord, to come and manifest. We pray and believe in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Patrick Lumumba and uh, Worship Ministry and all of you for coming. If we can just greet one another like this, um, the Lord is good. And all the time, and then I am the evidence. So, God is good, and all the time, and I am the evidence, because God 
has done great things which are permanent, which are tangible, which are visible. Praise the Lord. And Merry Christmas to you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I greet you, um, Nairobi Baptist Church, Ongatarongai, for those that are watching us probably for the first time. We love you and we're so excited that you could uh, watch with us and just listen. And those that will come later and listen to uh, what we are doing, we welcome you to celebrate the goodness of the Lord and to get these deep insights from the Word of God together in this church. Thank you all for coming and uh, just be uh, here to worship the Lord. Please uh, now welcome to the sermon today. We continue uh, as we actually come, bring this to a close, the series, Press On with Emmanuel. Press on in this life with Emmanuel. We close the year pressing on. We started the year with a series, uh, Nairobi Baptist Church family. Press on with Emmanuel. You know, the assemblies that has been the song sounding, whatever happens, brothers and sisters, press on with Emmanuel. And uh, we, this month, uh, December, we're looking at uh, um, uh, the book of Matthew, who presents Jesus as the King of Kings. The king. And the mood is that Jesus is the king. And this is why we bowed out before him. We bring all that we can to him. Knowing very well that he is the king of kings. We have read from Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 to 17. Those are just, just joining us now. We are focusing on Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 to 17. We have had a, we have a very hard concept this morning to explain. The concept, Son of God. It sounds the easiest, but it's the hardest to explain. And this morning I was asking for prayer from my wife that uh, I may deliver, because it is not the easiest, it's the hardest to explain. Son of God. So I want to warn you, it's not as easy. Son of God, who doesn't know that? No, 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 it's hard to explain. Remember Matthew has just broken the silence of about 400 years? You remember that? You remember that uh, after the prophets, because man has been created and uh, he has decided to, to, to sin and not obey, God has been raising prophets one after the other in different times, bringing a message of repent, 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 and come back to the Lord. And uh, people are not hearing, so prophet after prophet, and then Jesus, and the God kind of went into a silence. Of about 400 years, there was no prophet. There was no word of the Lord. Human beings, you do not hear what I'm telling you. Therefore, I am not talking. What else can I talk? I mean, there's nothing else for me to tell you through the prophet. I can only come down there and talk to you. So, 400 years, silence. And then he comes down. He comes down in this kind of manifestation. And Matthew... Matthew and the other writers of the Gospels are bringing an image instead of the king, the mighty king who has come from heaven after the long silence because God is coming down. No, he doesn't bring the, 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 the very loudest uh, sounds of uh, speakers from the sky. No, 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 no. This is very strange. We just see a baby. So the Gospels begin with a baby. After 400 years, a baby. A baby in um, a manger. Um, obviously, the word manger, uh, it, it looks like, like this because it was cows. So with, with hay. With hay. The friend of the hay. Um, there. No sofa set. Nothing new. Just there. 
What a strange way of presenting the king of kings. So now, Matthew is one of them. And the silence is broken not with a loud voice, but a connective family lineage of Jesus. Part of, uh, which is, part of it which is not impressive. And shows that this baby comes from a mixture of sinners. A mixture of sinners and, and, the, and the righteous people. We see some people like Ruth who are righteous. But most of the people there are sinners. Then we see that although the baby Jesus is born in a poor environment, it's very strategic and does not block the image of the king. As we see wise men paying homage to him, nevertheless. Even when you've been born there, this does not prevent Jesus, the baby Jesus, from becoming the king. We see them coming, great researchers and philosophers, astrologers, coming to pay homage. And last Sunday we saw that he was born to be worshipped. We saw that when we come to the Lord to worship, we saw several things that are about worship. That worship must not be interruptive. That worship must be costly. They come to worship in a way that does not cost them nothing. Now we say that if you are to be a worshipper, make sure it does not cost you nothing, like the king said. So Matthew proceeds quickly to present the grown boy to us and reveals his true identity before he begins ministry. Does this sound like a, a commissioning or ordination? Yes. Or consecration or something like that. In the wilderness, probably. This is where we are now. We are listening to that ceremony. To a ceremony which sounds like a commissioning. To a ceremony which looks like, uh, sounds like ordination or consecration or installation. And in chapter 3, Matthew begins with John the Baptist. Preaching repentance and baptizing in the wilderness of Judea. And the Baptist rejects Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism because of their unworthiness. And he tries to decline Jesus' request as a candidate for baptism. Because of what? Because Jesus is super worthy. So, but as Jesus approaches the river Jordan for baptism, this towering prophet, in verses 1 to 12, John the Baptist is reduced to a subordinate person. Remember, the great prophet that we have heard. A man, somewhere, in the wilderness. Everybody is running there. Everybody is running. A great prophet has come. So he is the talk of the city and everywhere. But quickly, as Jesus, Jesus in sandals, a person who is not known, a person who left, who would flee, went to Egypt and has come back and is not even known and his activities have not been shown by anybody. Now he's a grown man and he is from nowhere, nobody. And nobody comes in sandals and he stops everything. And John, Becomes a subordinate, just a subordinate person. And then he, his, he diminishes, John diminishes as Jesus becomes prominent. This is done swiftly, and we may not even notice. This account of Jesus' baptism is followed by his temptation in the wilderness. As we look at, uh, as we see from verse 4, all the way, 1 to 11. Now, before, before Jesus is, uh, be, be, you know, be, becomes being seen. Eh? Uh, before then, Matthew wants to tell us something very important. His baptism, actually the beginnings of the call of his first disciples we are seeing, um, he, he enters ministry from verse 1 to 11 in chapter 4, but from 12 to 25, we see Jesus uh, calling his first disciples. 
Then his baptism, therefore, now as we look at it, is preparation for what? That which will follow. A ministry filled with conflict that will lead to the cross. And finally, an open tomb. So in this gospel, Jesus' ministry opens with his baptism and will, and, and will close with his commissioning the disciples to baptize all the nations in chapter 28, around 19, verse 19. So in so shaping this gospel, Matthew reveals the importance of baptism to himself and the early church. How I pray that we too can help ourselves as we read these scriptures. And what do we see? We see three things. Three things that you remember to go home with. One, the subordinate's message. The message of the subordinate. Remember, I have uh, described John the Baptist as the subordinate. Number two, we are going to see the testimony of sonship of Jesus. And I would like you to listen very carefully to the idea of sonship. And of course, that will include daughtership, uh, Linda and company. That uh, we are all children of God. And, uh, and the man in the eyes of God includes man and woman. And finally, we look at the divine master of mercy. Those are the three things that we're looking at. Let's begin with a subordinate message or the message of a subordinate. There was one religious man called John. Now his heart sought the scripture so diligently and unawares, while he is not aware, God appoints him to prepare the way of Christ's ministry on earth. Now that the, the silence is being broken and Christ has come, who is God, so one must prepare the way. And we want to know how does he prepare the way. So it is through one man who is studying the scriptures. He is looking at the scrolls, the, 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 the scrolls all over. And he comes across an old prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, which said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now remember, it is not John saying the voice of one who cries in the wilderness. No, he was only qu quoting what he read. He had read from Isaiah chapter 40. And he found this verse, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Oh, quickly, quickly God puts those words in the heart of John and he went to the wilderness. He's reading and he finds this. And as he interacts with this verse, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He is ignited. He receives a call to become one wilderness preacher, one wilderness evangelist. And he goes, he runs to the, to the wilderness, and he is there. And his character is very different. I want you to listen to this character. His character endeared him to, to God for use. He was simple but rough. Did you hear that? He was simple but rough. He, wrote, he, he wore clothes that did not elevate his ego. Because you know, let me tell you, if I come here, and of course I should one of the days, if I come here with very many chains and nice things and my hair and my skin and everything and coming from the salon with my face made uh, and everything and the hair color kit and, uh, and everything and, and all the chains and, and uh, of course dressed about uh, one million, one million uh, worth of, uh, of clothing. Uh, when I come here, brethren, as I preach to you, I will be aware that I am somebody. But John, 
Whoa, clothing you've already had. Clothing that did not elevate his ego. He was only an evangelist in the wilderness. And he was ready for work. The attire he put on meant that he was ready for work. His prophetic office, he had an office. I have a nice office here. Some other pastors have better office. Others have worse. I have one here. But the office, the office of John the Baptist was in the wilderness. Where there was no interruption. This office is full of, in, of, of interruptions. Sometimes I have to close the office. Hi, pastor. Hi. And I'm praying. Hi. Hi. And of course, please continue to say hi. But there's a lot of interruption when I'm praying. There's a lot of interruption when I am counseling. But the office of John the Baptist was uninterrupted in the forest, in the wilderness alone. It provided an opportunity for God to bring people to him. He was there talking to the trees. And then people came. When they came, he knew that God has brought them. And that God has prepared their hearts to listen to his message. His message was simple. Repent, repent, repent. He did not even explain the kingdom of God. He, he mentioned the kingdom of God, but he did not say much about it. It probably didn't. Uh, appears that he did not even fully understand that kingdom. But his message was simple. Remember we said he was simple and rough. He was not soothing people. He was rough. But he was very simple, not very complicated, using very deep theological jargons. He was saying, repent, repent, and repent. This way, if people repented of their sins, their hearts would receive God's mercy before the new king of Israel comes. Now he prepared his listeners therefore with repentance. He baptized them for repentance. That is the whole idea. John the Baptist, who is the subordinate, who is the subordinate, has one message. Repent. I prepare you with repentance. If I am going to prepare you, brethren and brothers and sisters, for heaven, I can only do that by urging you, brothers and sisters, repent. Let us repent and remain holy. This is the only way we can wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming can only be uh, well uh, brought forward through a message of repentance. Repent and repent and repent. And that is the way John prepared. Voice of the one in the wilderness. Who is talking about prepare the way for the Lord? Repentance. Oh, brethren, are we ready? Repentance and repentance and repentance. Now, the second thing we hear is the testimony of the sonship of Jesus. John says, here is the one whose sandals I cannot untie. Because it, he, he is too anointed. He is too ordained from above. He declined to baptize Jesus because he felt unworthy. But our humble Savior submitted to baptism by lower so that he may set an example he later calls his disciples to baptize him in his name after repentance. Jesus is humble. A king of kings has come, a one who is very humble. I am telling you, if the president comes here in Rongai, much as you think I am important being your pastor, and of course I should be, who am I to the president? Ah, uh, he cannot feel honored if I come to, to welcome him here. He needs the governor. He needs a cabinet minister. He, need, he needs a senior, a senior serious politician 
Not this simple colored man of God. It is not the president alone. Even you, everybody. But Jesus was a very humble king of kings. He is ready to be baptized by John. Praise the Lord. And every time, because we are disciples of Jesus Christ, every time we learn something about Jesus Christ, we should say, me too. That please desire to do that. So please respond, all of you are not listening, say, me too. But that wasn't enough to introduce Jesus as the divine son of God. After Jesus is baptized, a loud voice from heaven miraculously embodied in a peaceful dove, which rested upon his head, never to depart. We have not been told the dove came and, and went. Just rested on him. And we are not told that the dove, or the presence of, the, of, of God the Most High, the presence of the Holy Spirit left him no departed upon him, never to depart. So so directly spoke to the listener, saying, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Now these words have historical meaning for the listening Jews. Jesus is the divine son of God, following the promise of three. Three people here that I want you to understand the history. The history behind John the Baptist, John the Baptist does not know so well. He is just a radical evangelist in the wilderness. So he is quoting scriptures. He is going back to the scrolls of Israel, David. And therefore, uh, I want you to, to, to get it so that it's not someone who just wrote. No. John the Baptist has history. Number one, the history of Adam. Adam is a type of Christ, burning up nations, to glory. That Adam is the first human being. So that humanity comes from Adam. But also Romans, Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 5 verse 14, likens Adam to Christ. He is a type of Christ, Paul says, because he births up nations of, to glory. He brings sons, many sons to glory. So the birth of the new Israel comes from Jesus Christ. The new Israel, the spiritual Israel, comes from Jesus, just like the national, natural Israel, comes all the way from Adam through Jacob, who is now named Israel. Jesus is referred to as the last Adam, because he introduces a new covenant. According to Apostle Paul, chapter, uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. He is the last Adam, therefore, and more important than Adam. So Jesus has overtaken Adam because he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, Paul says so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. That is the first history John the Baptist has when he quotes these things. And he tries Matthew, of course not, not John the Baptist, yes, yes, Matthew explains these things as he wants us to understand what the sonship is all about. That Adam is the son of God to give birth to humanity. Jesus is the son of God to bring many sons to glory in the New Testament covenant. Then he also remembers Israel. That Israel was identified as God's firstborn in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 to 23, when he threatened to kill Pharaoh's firstborn. Do you remember that? Pharaoh. Do you remember the story of Pharaoh? There was a competition. You remember Pharaoh's uh, firstborn? 
was generally regarded as God's son. That every time the Pharaoh gives birth to a son, that is God going to be God's son. Because Herod was a God. Sorry, a Pharaoh was a God. Because Pharaoh was a God, then his son was the son of God. You fear him. Listen to him. Listen to the son of God. Because I, Pharaoh, am God. My son, therefore, is the son of God. So God brought a competition. So who is the real son of God? The son of Pharaoh or the son of God who is Israel? There was no son during that time. It was only Israel. So Israel was identified in Exodus chapter 4, 22 to 23 as sons, the son of God. No sons, but the son. The tribe, the nation of Israel is my son. So Pharaoh, you can raise up your son. I raise up mine, we see who is going to defeat who. We can go to the river. We'll see which son is the true son. So there was a competition. Jesus has overtaken Israel. When God calls him out of Egypt, have I called my son? You remember? Uh, Matthew is quoting in chapter 2, uh, Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. That out of Egypt have I called my son. Matthew takes the title of a son and gives it to Jesus to start the new uh, testament. Gospel of salvation. And the son who obeyed God was Israel, but the son who fulfills God's plan of redemption is therefore Christ of Nazareth. So Matthew, by introducing these testimonies, he reveals the true deity of God, that God the Son. Amen? The third thing that he looks at is, the, is David. Because the, the great title of Son of God that Matthew has given to this baby, the Son of God, he is looking at David also. It's a very great title. In Psalms chapter 2 verse 7, we see David remembering God's covenant with him in, in, uh, in, in Samuel. First Samuel chapter, chapter 7. You are my son. Today have I begotten you. David remembers that. Of course he takes that to be his. He, this is, he takes this as mine. You are my son. I am your son. Today have I begotten you. Even though, even though I go through trials and temptations, I know that I am your son. And I know that you have begotten me. Therefore I am safe. But this was actually prophetic for the present David, but also for the future David, who is Jesus Christ, yet to be confirmed with a loud voice from heaven in this portion of scripture now. So Jesus, the newborn baby, is therefore born to us as the son of God. And God the son coming to us to dwell in our midst. Both fully human and fully God. Now, let me just ask someone a question. Sorry, I know this is live and I need to be more serious. But just this. Let me ask a youth, anybody. What we say that God was fully human and God, God was fully man and was full, fully God. In your understanding, why was God fully? Why was Jesus Fully man. If I can pick anybody. Okay, let me not. Anybody who volunteers? Yes, Amani. Um, he was tempted in all ways and therefore he was fully man. Okay, thank you. Any other way of looking at it? Yes. He was born by a natural mother. Therefore, his maternal side, his maternal side that he comes from Mary, from the blood of Mary, makes him fully man, because he was born. And of course, of course, being fully man, and born uh, by a woman, 
then he also goes through every possible thing that a human being has gone through. And then his paternal side, because there is no man that can say this is my blood, except God the Father. His paternal side makes him fully God. Because he has two sides. Human, mother, heavenly, father. Therefore he is both fully man and fully human. Oh sorry, fully God. So this is the whole idea that he has been brought to us to understand that he is both fully man and fully God. And this is the newborn baby born in these circumstances Matthew wants the listener, you and I, to remember that this is God coming to dwell in us. Emmanuel. And the last thing that we see here now is the divine master of mercy. Coming back to John the Baptist, his prophecies. Now please, do not miss this. This is only one minute presentation. Coming back to John the Baptist now, this, his prophecies were that you must repent before the new king arrives. The king of the new kingdom. So he tells people, we know the kingdoms of these people, Herod and everybody else. But there is another kingdom coming. The kingdom of heaven. And the king is coming. Please repent quickly. Repent. And he would, I, I imagine he would almost cry. He would ask them, repent, repent my people, repent. The king is coming. But the problem is that the king that he has is different. The king that is in his mind is actually different. Now he thinks, he thinks that the king that will judge harshly those who would not obey, just as in the days of the old. Because remember, the source of John the Baptist, the source of his knowledge is from the old cross. The way he dealt with Israel, and the way he would punish, and he has promised punishment. So John says, you will be punished. You will become sick with cancer if you don't repent. You know you're going to die. Your family is going to reduce if you don't. And you know today we still think the same way. You are so wrong. The young people will tell you, Omenoa. That's not the truth. Little did he know that this king would be different in his ministry. Jesus comes as a healing king, not punishing and judging king. He comes as a healing king. The king of kings, the greatest one of all, is not a punisher. Not now. Not yet. In this life, in the, in the life of the church, no. In the life of the church, it is a life, it is a, a ministry of grace. It is a ministry of grace and mercy. But one day, one day there shall be another trumpet. This, there is a time that he will not come in a, in a manger. There is a time he will not come as the king of mercy. That time he will come as a judge. But during this time now, this is not the image John the Baptist has. He is king of the sinners. He gives them time waiting on them to repent. His message would go beyond John the Baptist. And he repeats the same sentence year after year. Month after month. Decade after decade. And he has one message. says, beloved, repent. 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 You must, you only have that invitation to repent. And you lose it. You lose that invitation only on the day you die. Yesterday, the invitation was there. Abednego, repent. 
Even some of you before you were born. Before, because I was born before some of you. Even before you were born, there was an invitation. A card saying, repent and come to me. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And even today, the invitation is there. He knows the truth about your, about your heart. He knows. We know how good you are. We know as much as go- the good you are, as mu- much as you have presented yourself. We know how you present yourself. We know how you greet us nicely. We know about your smile. We know about how you manage your family. But he knows. The king knows not about the land, but our hearts. He knows how genuine we are. And he continues, if we were to ever know about your secrets, because there are some hidden secrets, <laughs> let me tell you, God knows how weak we are. He will never give us. I, I know sometimes, sometimes we pretend that we are so filled with the Holy Ghost that we know your sins. And sometimes you fear us, pastors. Please don't fear. By the way, we don't. We don't. Even if you have sinned and you know what you have done the whole week, Come and greet me, pastor. Praise the Lord. Of course, praise the Lord. Even when you have sinned. Praise the Lord. Let us not lie to you. We don't have those. Human beings cannot keep those secrets. We'll be very mad to know what you have done. This life is full of many things you have done. Even the pastors, we should not know exactly the things that you have done. All of them. Even the confessions. And I wonder why you confess to us confessing your sins to us and then we are going to the washroom after you've confessed to us confess to the one who does not go to the washroom confess to the Lord Jesus Christ praise the Lord because he has one message repent and repent and repent it's never too late to come to the Lord even the prostitutes repent and come to the Lord and you know what the world will judge you but you know what my beloved even after you've come from the prostitution and come to the Lord, I can make you a great preacher. I can make you a deliverer of souls. I can make you a fisher of men and women. Even you murderer, even you murderer, even you fornicator, even you liar, even you great, the greatest hater of all times. If you come to me, because the invitation is open, repent, repent, come to me, or you that labor, and are heavy laden. This is the new king of kings that John did not know. He knew about the one who punishes harshly, but we, we see later in the gospels and in the epistles, this is one who is full of mercy. Paul says, come, let us come. Let us approach, let us enter into the throne of mercy, in the throne of grace. And then we shall find two things, grace and mercy. This is the divine master of mercy that is presented by Matthew here. And you will lose the invitation the day you die. The problem is that we don't know when. We do not know when. Jesus was therefore born to be a prince of mercy. So please, everybody stand up. If you can. He was born. Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. There is no argument about that. No argument about that. My wife, uh, one day, was, was seated somewhere and some people came there to challenge. They, all, they always come to you. And he came to challenge saying, is Jesus really the Son of God? Did he really die? 
So Lucia told them, she decided not to engage in an argument. She says, I need no other argument. I know that Jesus died on the cross and he rose up again and is my personal savior. She went, she left them there with their, with their scrolls and everything. We need no other argument. Jesus is the son of God. He is God the son. He is God the son. And uh, he was therefore born to be the prince of mercy. His love to the sinner is permanent. Calling you daily to, ta- to a turn around and a joyful experience of his mercy. You will never be attracted to, the, to, to any other thing but worship to this king of kings. All the other kingdoms shall cease to be loud the day you shall invite Christ in your heart. And you know, brothers and sisters, all the other kingdoms reduced and diminished when we came to this kingdom of mercy. He will cleanse you. He will give you honor to be called a son of God despite your past. This Abednego here is a, form, is a sinner, a former sinner, a lost. I know that I do sin because I live in this world like, like Isaiah says. But Christ does not take me as a sinner. He takes me as a redeemed of his own. And you know, I have shared with you some of the bad things I have done before. Including doing what I have told you I have done in the past. But I am called a son of God. And Jesus hands over this title to you. Behold, my son, my beloved. Once this is done, your title shall be permanent. Your cleansing and promise shall be permanent. Because what he has done for us is permanent. Let's join together as we sing this song. And we don't just have to enjoy it. We celebrate it, but if at some point you feel that you want to thank God for that permanency, the king who does not just punish, but he comes to give us a chance to repent again. If you are lost, you have backslidden. Come back to the Lord because what? His invitation is permanent. His love for us is permanent. It shall be permanent. Lord. Oh, the Lord has done for me. He shall be permanent. Nobody can take away that which the Lord has given unto me. My salvation is permanent. What the Lord has done for me, the finished work on the cross is permanent. It doesn't matter how many times the devil has pulled me down. It doesn't matter how many times my heart has gone astray. But what the Lord has done for me on the cross, the permanent mark of the cross, the permanent mark of love on the cross, is permanent in my life. It is permanent in your life. You belong to the family of God. You belong to the family of God. It doesn't matter what the year has done to you. Even the discouragement and the giants of discouragement. Even the many times you have withdrawn from ministry and you have gone back. How you feel betrayed even by the church and by brethren. And you think that you have already offended God. The love that he has for you is permanent. The calling that he has for you is permanent. The dying on the cross and the smack of salvation is permanent for you. We have received a king. A baby boy has been born. The one who brings permanency in the vision of God. My heart looks up to Jerusalem. Our hearts look up to Jerusalem. And we are going to Jerusalem. Yes, Lord. This is it. We dedicate ourselves to you. 
and the needs that we have will find us solutions in you. And the cries and the tears we have, Lord, will find their solutions in you. And therefore, Father, how I pray, even interceding for the listener and the congregant here, for the tears of sorrow, that, Lord, in your time, you shall change them to be tears of joy in the name of Jesus Christ. That the burdens we carry, that, Lord, you shall lift them off our back and give us relief because, King, you have come. Our vision is about New Jerusalem, Lord. Father, I pray that you may protect us. I pray that you may protect us that we shall not be disrupted. That we will worship the King of Kings even on our way to Jerusalem. I know, Lord, there will be nails. I know there will be thorns, dear Lord, on the way. I I know there will be discouraging voices. There will be justification and, and enough discussions for us to go back. But Lord, I pray that you preserve, you preserve my beloved. You preserve my listener. You preserve this congregation, dear Lord. You preserve this family, dear Lord. Preserve us, our Father. We shall not lose that which you have given unto us. The redemption, the deliverance. I pray that you preserve, that we will see the new Jerusalem. King, you have come, born Son of God. This I pray in the name of God with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's give a clap unto the Lord. Please turn your neighbors. We say the grace. Don't pray. It's not a prayer. It's actually a prophetic, um, you know, uh, ministry to one another. As we say the grace of God together. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you.